This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Plato's Cave on Triple R, a film criticism show and podcast. This is our final episode of the year. This is the end. Tonight on Plato's Cave, we will count down our favourite films of the year. I'm joined by Cerise Howard, Emma Westwood and Sally Christie. Hello, everyone. Hello, Stewie. Hello, Very Stewie. exciting. Are you excited? You are excited. Yes, we are, because we don't know who's voted for what. Yes, only I know. The power is mine. <laughs> yes. Uh, the number one rule for tonight's show is that for a film to be included, it has to have been released in 2018. So that counts out films that have been getting a lot of love on many international critics' lists, such as those that we are yet to see, like The Favourite, and gems such as Paddington 2, which was released at the end of last year in Australia. So we have 30 films that have received at least one citation from a host tonight. We have six double-ups and two films that received three citations each. So two films are the standout of our year. Uh, So let's get straight into it. We're going to begin with all of the films that received just one nod from a host. And what I've done is very loosely tied them together. So there's some method to this madness. And we're we're going to begin with some films that did something with the genre. Mm. Uh, and Sally, we're going to begin with one of your choices, and that is Suspiria. Oh, I'm the only one that got Suspiria. Yes. Okay. Um, I picked this. Oh, I feel really still half-hearted about it, but I did love it. The half of this movie that I liked, I really, really loved. And, yeah, it made me go to the cinema to see it more than once. But then on the show where we discussed this, there were parts of it that I, did, I didn't love that much. But I Yet think it still made your top ten, Yeah, it did. I, I think the... the Bits that I love were worth the payoff for sure. Oh, Definitely, okay. I mm. struck it off for that exact reason. Yes, yes. same here. I, it w- mm. was originally on my list, but I listened to your show when you covered it, and yeah, you convinced me to strike it off. Uh, the next, the next nod is one of my choices, and I'm shocked that I'm the only one that included this, and that is Love Simon. <laughs> We love, love, Simon. <laughs> we did, we did. Uh, I I mean, I was very umming and ahhing about this. This was sort of towards the end of my list. Uh, but I taught uh, a semester on teen cinema at RMIT University this semester. And we had a week where we looked at Love, Simon and the coming out film. And it made me love this film even more. Because what it does with the teen genre, uh, it is it really playing with the conventions and sort of talking to a lot of young people about the effect this film has had on them this year. Uh, It's made me really appreciate just how important this film is. It's got a lot of weaknesses, uh, as I think we covered on that show, but, yeah, I think it's very, very special. Uh, The next film, we're going back to you, Sally, and that is Mandy. Uh, I feel if Lisa was here with us tonight that this wouldn't be just a one vote. I think that Lisa (laughs) definitely would have picked this too. Um, Mandy, for me, was spectacular. It was one of my absolute favourites of the year. I loved it. It was everything that I think genre cinema should be and a little bit more. Great. All right, now we're going to go to some documentaries. Emma, uh, one of your choices, Won't You Be My Neighbour? Yes, uh, this documentary is something that very rarely figures on my top 10 list. Um, 
although I think I have another one this year, but uh, this film for me, well, it presented a subject matter that I wasn't aware of and was strangely affecting so affecting that I actually sobbed in in the cinema. And so it, it came out of nowhere. I felt that it wasn't necessarily pushing the documentary form beyond any, you know, uh, in any inter- really over-the-top interesting way as such, but it just did... It was just a very solid documentary. It did what it did well and it worked very well with the subject matter. Fantastic. Cerise, over to you with Faces Places. Oh, bless her. Agnes Varda and some chap named J.R. traips about the French countryside uh, erecting huge murals as tributes to the under-celebrated people who inhabit these uh, often quite, not, not remote locales, but just removed, places that are removed from the hustle and bustle. And, and Varda at oh, age 80-something remains incredibly vital and inspirational. And uh, I think that film has... has renewed tremendously renewed interest in all of her extraordinary back catalogue i mean she's she's one of the greats and that it's taken quite so long for everyone to realize that she was uh, always producing work of the caliber of her new wave contemporaries is undoubtedly due to her gender Mm, um and i think that people are beginning to twig that um maybe the lady folk be making great films a long time it's not just (laughs) father but she is that said exceptional definitely amazing Uh, amazing filmmaker One more documentary. Emma, we're going back to you with (laughs) Backtrack Boys. Yes, the Australian documentary. So this one, uh, another one that took me by surprise, Uh, another just working really beautifully well within a a traditional documentary form, also um, being able to talk about a lot. It was basically around oppressed teenagers who are involved in this program called backtrack uh where they're paired with dogs and um and that's part of their therapy for want of a better word i guess uh it it just managed the filmmaker she managed to lock on um some really interesting characters uh which propelled the film forward uh, very much so but also you know within the conventional form didn't seem to take necessarily fully conventional track if you know what i mean backtrack Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so the next loose collection of films i have dubbed hollywood uh cerise spider-man into the (laughs) spider-verse this this does feel a bit naughty because it's not yet been released but it is released before the air is out yes so so it it qualifies it qualifies and i'm not terribly invested in superhero films as a rule but i am invested in animation and the animation in this film is extraordinary and it combines homages to all manner of different comic book forms and other um, uh, schools of animation outside of those you might expect to be associated with whichever comic book universe Spider-Man's attached to. I can't remember which is Marvel, which is DC, because I care that little. <laughs> but I... I am surprised by and, you yeah, putting this in, And I haven't in seen series. all the Spider-Man films, but I enjoyed this tremendously, and it brings an awful lot of intersectionality to, to proceedings, which is definitely the way of the future Hollywood. But what I like is how it works with that to also address the the chaos that that can produce trying to do right by everybody so there are a lot of spider folk in this Great. film and that there's a whole multiverse that opens up and it's a hoot mm. uh, it's very smart very clever and it is stunning to behold and there are so many gags that fly by that will require repeat viewings to to uh, absorb okay. that fly by get it Spider-Man no, no, that web? Went, no, no. no. Okay. Don't, don't worry. 
So the next Hollywood film is probably there because it's star power. Emma, uh, Tully. Oh, it's not actually there because of its star power, I wouldn't say. I, I was um, In the, my sort of very vague oh, collection of collection. Hollywood okay. films. Oh, in your I thought you meant you were mm. trying to get into my mind and say that. No. Uh, Tully, <laughs> I thought it would be um, Juno, you know, version two, and this went somewhere that I really didn't expect, and um, I found as a it was a great refreshing surprise and also uh, uh, the feeling the many the feeling of exhaustion and world weariness bone weariness really that it managed to portray and what Charlize Theron managed to portray through it was really quite spectacular and even in the the use of the character Tully who was really annoying they actually gave a reason for her annoyingness um, it just was a film that wrapped in on itself so beautifully and and that's why I put it in the top ten. Films with twists usually suck. They do. Mm. They do. But this just, yeah, it, mm. it was a twist that was part of the whole mm. rather than just tacked on to the end. All right, now we're going to go through a few films that are engaging in politi- politics in some way. And, Cerise, we're going with your selection of The Square. Oh, yeah, what fun. What excruciating fun this film was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lo- lovely exercise in uh, bougie baiting, um, but uh, just uh, quite agonising. Um, moral conundra galore, uh, a sympathetic yet also unsympathetic protagonist, uh, a curator of a fancy pants museum, a high concept idea for um, an installation, meanwhile his own life outside of it s- starts to spiral into some totally absurd paranoid um, uh, business that relates beautifully to what the museum is trying to do and, and I just just love how uncomfortable viewing this is and, and just the, the occasional surreal absurdity. I mean what was that ape doing there? We, I don't know but I, I, I really did love this film though I don't know if I ever want to watch it again though I probably do <laughs> I mean it's, it's one of those films so uh, loaded with ambivalence that um, yeah, I will actually have to watch it again or not. So the next uh, film is one of mine, and that is BPM, Beats Per Minute, uh, detailing the ACT-UP movement in Paris, uh, starring one of my uh, favourite actors at the moment, Felix Maritor, who uh, is in a film that's going to be doing the Queer Film Festival circuit next year with uh, Love and uh, Knife and Heart and Sauvage. Um, it's a really political, it's a really angry film, the way it's crowd scenes are shot in sort of the theatre meetings uh, and uh, the use of Bronski Beats, small town uh, boy as well, throughout the entire score, I think is incredible. Uh, so, yeah, that is my pick of the year, actually. That's wow. My, yeah, it's my favourite film. Wow. And I still haven't seen that. I like to think that <sighs> it, it would work that magic for me too because yeah. the subject matters of interest. I just haven't caught up with it yet. It was on my longer list. Yeah, Excellent. Yeah. Uh, so the next one is we're going to Emma with I Am Not a Witch. I adored this film. I thought this was such a, a, a wonderful debut film, a really exciting, fresh voice from Africa, young woman filmmaker, and it really defies any 
any genre description, the title will make you think that maybe you're seeing some sort of fantasy horror, but it was strangely really grounded in, in, in reality, a scary reality, which was this, um, young, young girl who wanders into a village and everyone accuses her of being a witch. And the way that she managed to combine almost farce with just, horrific treatment of this young girl was incredible uh, right through to this really devastating conclusion um, and even the choice of music was incredible it had a global feel while having a very local uh, story um, sensational movie just got just got bumped off my list oh, it was one go. of my favorites that was the Sus- year as well Suspiria got in no, over Mandy. that no <laughs> Mandy <laughs> I think that's going to be a common theme uh, for tonight's show. Uh, Cerise, now back to you with Foxtrot. Oh, Foxtrot. Yes, that's a good, good, good film. Uh, another one full of um, moral and ethical complexity. It's a war film, but it's about uh, a family unit. It's about... Um, oh, it's actually just a really sophisticated piece of storytelling and with some wonderful imagery. It's one of the most beautifully shot films of the year for mine. They had a great sound. That camel. That camel camel. walking down the road. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a stunning piece of filmmaking. That apartment. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, everything. Everything. Even that that weird little uh, vehicle that they were, or whatever it was, that unit they were inhabiting, the soldiers just on the the borders. It's been quite a while since I've seen this. I'm I'm very keen to watch it again. I've got a real kick out of it. It was upsetting, but wonderful. Mm. So the next film is one of my choices, uh, and that's a film that we didn't actually cover on the show, I don't think, and that is uh, The Tale by Jennifer Fox, starring uh, Laura Dern and Elizabeth Debicki. Uh, So Jennifer Fox uh, bases this story on a story she wrote as a 13-year-old that details the sexual abuse she endured as a young girl, Uh, and the film is all about memory and how trauma can affect memory and how that's constantly changing when you uh, sort of engage with this really troubling history. Um, It's a very intense film. I had to actually take a break when watching it. Uh, So it screened at the Melbourne International Film Festival, but then it later got a release on Showtime on Foxtel. And I do encourage people to check it out. It is a really tough film to watch, but uh, I think it's incredible. I think Laura Dern is fantastic in it, Uh, as is Elizabeth Debicki. There's one scene with her towards the end, which, yeah, really tugs at the heartstrings. Uh, All right, so the next collection of films detail isolation in some way. Uh, Sally, uh, we're going to go with you with My Friend Dharma. Oh, I loved this so much. Um, I was conflicted whether it was a film from last year or this year, but it got a general release in Australia this year. Um, This, for me, was such an interesting portrayal of a serial killer and not being a film about serial killing. And how he had gone from isolation to being in a friendship group, then back to isolation. I I thought it was an incredible subject with parts of his life that we have not perhaps seen before on screen, and I thought it was done beautifully. I loved my friend Arma. All right, now one one of my choices, and that is uh, Strange Colours. I think a really beautifully uh, made film by Alina Lodkina. I think she is a really uh, interesting new director, and I'm really excited to see where her future goes in the Australian industry, uh, detailing opal mining in the uh, Lightning Ridge region of Australia, uh, but also... 
Yeah, so be, I think a big part of this film for me is isolation. Uh, this you know city girl sort of moving to the sort of uh, a rural part of Australia, meeting the locals, but also sort of having to deal with her own quietness. I think, and the way the minds are shot in this film, I think, are incredible. Emma, over to you with the old man and the gun. Yes, I missed the show that you guys talked about this on, um, but uh, yeah, I had I had seen the film and I feel that this. I'm not a fan of biopics. I've said that this a lot on the the show. But what I love is this is um, a biopic on not on the person that you think it is a biopic on. So it's based on Forrest Tucker, who um, uh, I think he broke out of jail 15 times, broke out of San Quentin at 70. He's played by Robert Redford, and that is the real person that this biopic is about. And I, it, it is just this beautiful ode to his entire career and these sort of glorified criminals that he has played um, in some of his film catalogue and the hoot of a wonderful time that he's had doing it. And also in, it just plays on this um, beautiful uh, 70s aesthetic without being heavy-handed. It's not hyper-stylized like something like Bad Times at at the El Royale, which we covered this year or anything like that. And I just thought the direction was superb, the beautiful jazz score, and um, and I really like the use of Lola by the Kinks in it. So. <laughs> Utterly un- inappropriate, but, you know, still such a great beautiful. song. But, yeah. <laughs> All right, OK. Now uh, the final collection of films are dire- uh, films that we could say are by auteurs or notable directors and the discussion around these films featured sort of... We discussed them in relation to their catalogue from the director and uh, that next one is Sally Your Choice Climax by Gaspar Noe. Um, This was such a joy to see in a cinema. For me this was Gaspar Noe's best film since Irreversible. Um, I do like his work but this I found totally riveting and the one thing that I loved most about it was his restraint because we expect him as a filmmaker to be just all out there and there was a lot of restraint in this film and I think it really worked to its advantage. All right, next is one of my choices by Hirokazu Koreeda and that is Shoplifters. Mm. I wasn't here for the discussion of this film but I saw it at the Melbourne International Film Festival. Uh, I, I weep a lot. Um, there are two performances in this film by Lily Frankie and Sakura Ando, which I think are incredible. And there's something about this film about it, you don't realise how much emotional weight it is piling up until there's one moment in the film, I think, where it kind of just breaks you and you realise and it clicks into place what this film is about. Uh, fantastic. All right. Next, uh, Emma, your choice, Shape of Water. Yeah, probably an um- popular popular choice <laughs> right back at the start of the year i actually saw it last year at um in a media screening but it was officially released right at the start of the year it is the academy award winning film um best film uh, i think it's just a, a perfect movie that uh, it's guillermo del toro finally bringing all these guillermo del toro elements together and making it really pop um the beautiful ode to 20th century american um, film culture, which really appealed to me, and it, it has remained with me for the whole mm. year. Uh, next one is one of my choices, and that is Roma. 
uh, by Quiron. Uh, it's currently screening at Acme, uh, and it's going to be released on Netflix next week. Uh, I have a theory that if we collectively covered this film on the show, I think everyone would be voting for it. <laughs> uh, I think it is an incredible film. I think it is a masterpiece. There are so many wonderful long takes in this film. Uh, do go see this on the big screen. This is a big screen film. Um, I think it's fantastic that Netflix are going to screen it because, I mean, more people will have access to it, I think. But this is a big screen film. Uh, it is stunning. Um, uh, two more films. Uh, Cerise, over to you with The Other Side mm. of the Wind. There's a Netflix connection there, isn't there? Yes, what Orson a Wells. good segue. Yeah, was it 30-odd years after his death? Um, uh, what an extraordinary film about film, about filmmaking, about a film within a film, a film about a film. Outer film within. I mean, so many, so much, so many Hollywood players are in this film, playing versions of themselves, playing versions of Orson Welles, crossed with Ernest Hemingway. Yeah. Uh, in the case of John Huston, I mean, so much legendariness has informed this film. I mean, you've got Claude Chabrol just wandering around as uh, as Claude Chabrol, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, just it's, it's so steeped in, in film lore, and yet this is a film that. It's right at the, the heyday of the 70s. It's the 70s is all get out, but then the film within the film is this extraordinary 60s-ish into the 70s Antonioni-ish. A uh, beautiful, beautiful thing. It's, I so wish I could have seen this on a big screen. It's mm. on Netflix at least, which probably means that people can see it at any time they wish now, but it is stunning. It, mm. um, and it shows that Wells had lost no edge whatsoever towards the end of his life because this film is as... Well, there's just a lot of nudity. There's an amazing orgy scene. I mean, you know, who doesn't like a good orgy scene? This is one of the great orgy scenes. Am I, lots of bad orgy scenes yeah. in films. Or use of an ice cube. <laughs> okay, the final film for our first segment. And Emma, yes. your uh, film by Lynn Ramsey with You Were Never Really Here. Yes, yeah. Uh, Lynn Ramsey's, I just thought she just she just nailed it with this this film it was you know a lot of talk around it about being a riff on taxi driver and so forth um and you know it's not taxi driver i will not say it's that film but it was still riveting nonetheless i mean it's really quite a, a pretentious film but it's it sold me i didn't i didn't care about that right through to the end even the the remarkably uh, bleak, upbeat end. Uh, beautiful work. She's just one of those filmmakers, though, that everyone should watch. Mm. All right. So uh, you are listening to Plato's Cave on Triple R, and we are covering our favourite films of the year. We're going to return shortly with our films that received two votes. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 Triple R in Melbourne, Australia. Cold War. I chose this along with Cerise. Cerise. Yeah, well, this is a, a stunning film. Um, Cold War. It, it is a Cold War film. It's an east-west divide and uh, love across the divide, to and froing. Uh, beautifully shot and incredibly crisp black and white. Uh, wonderful song outside of Western rock and roll. A lot of uh, folk and and weirdly socialist realist uh, approved tunesmithery and dance. Um, this film's really steeped in in an, a weird um, a weird era that we don't actually all that often see in film, mm. uh, unless like me, you're a bit of an Eastern European a file. Um, it's, it's rare that we get a, a film like this released here, but uh, 
the director, um, Pavel Pavlovsky. 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 Close. Thomas, where are you? We need you. <laughs> uh, we, it, it, he's a name director now. Uh, so Ida, a few years ago, was huge. Uh, yeah. He's been around a long time. He is a masterful filmmaker, and this is a, a, a tremendously moving and exciting film, and it, it ends in the way that I love films to end, which I will, shall not spoil for anyone. But it's, Yeah. Mm. And the the song Rock Around the Clock plays during this fantastic bar sequence. Uh, I think this film is really about music and the progression of music and this sort of tale of East and West is told through the musical choices. Uh, yeah, I think this is a really superb film. Superbly shot film. Uh, there are so many lovely long takes in this film. And some very sad faces. Very sad faces so in the choir. It's getting a general release. Yes. Boxing Day. Boxing yes. Day. So this is coming out Boxing yeah. Day at do see this. Uh, all right, Sally, get ready because all the other films uh, that have received two votes were on your list. Oh, I've got to do a lot of talking. <laughs> Lots of talking from you now, Sally. Uh, all right, this next choice is In the Fade, which was also chosen by Emma. Yes. Oh, well, Sally and I like this one. This seems like so long ago. I think this is one of the first films that we talked about this year. But um, it really stuck with me. There was so many things I thought were unique and powerful about this movie it was very dreary and but it was just it looked at content how I hadn't seen it explored before in film I think I thought it was really incredible yeah, I think it's interesting because the, the the idea of you know terror, subject matter, the ter- terrorism, and it plays out a lot in cinema now in different ways. And I think this was a really unique take on it. Mm. I hadn't mm. seen terrorism explored this way in cinema no. before. No, and Diane Kruger was just wonderful. So it. great. Mm. I mean, I, I had like a working list throughout the year, and this film was on the list for so long throughout the year, but <laughs> just got cut. Uh, I think the way the camera is used differently throughout each segment I think is incredible yeah uh, alright the next film I predicted to be the number one film of the year Ooh. but it was only chosen by myself and Sally and that is Hereditary this is my absolute number one film for the year great I can say these sort of things I, don't, I couldn't make that call but really? that's very good no yeah. I, I love this this for me was everything I love in cinema it had cult stuff it had you know cool horror stuff <laughs> i just loved it um i thought tony collette was spectacular in it i think i feel that any good piece of genre cinema now gets tagged with it was it's the scariest film since the exorcist i don't necessarily think that's true but i do think this was a spectacular piece of cinema i literally jumped out of my seat throughout <laughs> this film i was sitting next to alex helen nicholas uh, who used to be a host on this show, and she had to reassure me and make sure I was okay throughout the screening. Uh, incre- I think you'd only just met her then, hadn't you? Oh, no, I've known her for a while. Oh, have you? Yeah. I thought you had only just met her. <laughs> I was just thinking how inappropriate yeah. that was. But, yeah, <laughs> just this great. random person <laughs> yes. in the theatre yes. making sure I'm okay. Uh, Tony Collette is incredible in this film. There's one really shocking scene that I think is incredible, uh, which I won't reveal. Uh, all right, so the next film is chosen by both Sally and Emma, and that is On Body and Soul. Oh, oh no, Cerise. Oh, and Cerise. Sally. Yeah, I thought I picked this. Surely yeah. I picked this. I know some, I got some stern words on this show for not warning <laughs> some of my co hosts that there might have been a little bit of uh, graphic content in this film concerning animals. 
But look, it's a, it's a love story set in dreams and in an abattoir, and that was always going to be some complex terrain for any <laughs> filmmaker to negotiate, and indeed their audience. But uh, this is a, a masterful and strange film. That's um, it reminds me of. Uh, a couple of old old films. Peter Ibbotson is one. Um, I love films where people meet in dreams or somehow meet impossibly, and uh, but then to attach that to a really gritty sort of social realist, uh, a bit of grim Hungarian action. I mean, you know, this is me all over. <laughs> I, uh, a, wonder, a wonderful film and, and strangely funny at times too, and great performances. Yeah, for me, this was the film that stuck with me the most this year. Um, but I have definitely thought about more than any other film. And it wasn't because of that really quite graphic animal cruelty. It was because of the love story that was in it and the way that that was executed. It was just, it took my breath away. Um, Love the use of the word execute there. I know. So, yeah. It's coming from <laughs> But, um, yeah, this film is exquisite. Like... I, I found the and the scene at the start with the the cow incredibly difficult, but stick through it; it's worth it. Those dream sequences with the deer mm. in the forest are stunning. Mm. Yeah. All right. The next film. Uh, and now I hope my note taking is correct. Uh, Terra Nullius, uh, which mm. was chosen by Sally and Cerise. Mm-hmm. Correct. Go me. Uh, <laughs> this this was such a delight. I reckon I think I squealed when I saw this film. This has so I, I love Australian cinema. I particularly love nineteen seventies Australian cinema, and the way that they built a narrative throughout this to comment on what's happening in today's Australia was incredible and the amount of hours that soda jerk who put this together this art piece together must have put into this is just outstanding and the it's just great i loved it well i was confused by but also hugely appreciated that there was quite a lot of new zealand cinema in the mix as well there really was quite a lot yep um but yeah, this is an ingenious and fun, and there's so much mischief that runs throughout this this whole piece, and it worked as an installation, but also as a, a film to watch in a cinema. And I think there'll be a lot of glee to be had in returning to this film for multiple viewings. Mm. Just uh, yeah, it's great fun. Yeah, I I mean, what one thing I did find with this film though is it comments, uh, it uses a lot of films like uh, Mad Max. Uh, uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock to comment on sort of political uh, manifestations of Australian culture and the way we engage with the land. But I did find that those films are already doing that. Uh, But I think it is the way it's all put together, I think, is incredible. Yeah, nice to see it comment, though. I I think those films definitely do comment on that, but they were putting it together in a way that comments on it with what's happening today Mm. and making it relevant to today's viewers, too. Yeah. All right. Uh, one more film uh, to go for this segment, and that was chosen by Sally and Emma, uh, and that is A Star is Born. No! <laughs> We're the big soppy ones. This is my surprise <laughs> film of the year. This was my surprise too. I went along with Stewie to this, and we were kind of stealing ourselves for it, going, okay, there's free drinks, you know, and then I... Free just, popcorn. Uh, I was just totally swept up in and I actually feel that it's uh, in, as we talked about on the show, in this long legacy of Star is Born movies, there's more than there's more than two. There's arguably five of them, isn't there? I think going right back to the Someone one. Someone argued was, that the bodyguard was the one. bodyguard was one. <laughs> 
<laughs> Fantastic. I do believe this is the most successful of uh, – it is a complete work, uh, the most successful. The the, the chemistry between um, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga is just astounding and the fragility of these big stars not actually doing a star turn, I thought. They were actually playing very um, fragile, uh, vulnerable human beings. Yeah, I went into this film going, oh, I can't believe I'm going to be spending part of my weekend watching this. And I came away eating my words because I absolutely adored it. It was just a perfect piece of classic Hollywood melodrama for me. Um, It was, you know, just old Hollywood storytelling. And Bradley Cooper is just outstanding in this film. The way that he plays a really vulnerable, vulnerable man is so convincing and he does a beautiful job that, um, yeah, I would never have thought A Star Is Born was going to make my top ten, but it, it did. baby blue eyes looking out just, at you. <laughs> he was just very good. And the fact that he directed and he did um, sing and he played the music as well. I mean, it was quite astounding, astounding achievement. Yep. Mm. Uh, the moment when uh, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga meet in the drag bar, I think is incredible. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm. Uh, shout out to Willem and Shangela, our two favourite drag, drag queens. <laughs> our two favourite drag queens. That was exciting too to yeah. see. <laughs> I didn't actually know they were going to be in the Neither film. Neither did I. <laughs> which was a highlight for me. You are listening to Plato's Cave on Triple R, and we are covering our favourite films of the year, and we'll return shortly with our two top films of the year. Three. Triple This is it, our two favourite films of 2018. Drumroll. A Fantastic Woman, directed Mm. by Sebastian Lelio. Uh, So, A Fantastic Woman was selected by myself, Sally and Cerise. So, Sally, why did you choose A Fantastic Woman? Uh, The way that this film dealt with grief, I found really compelling and the I guess the need to be included and supported and just felt loved while you're grieving for somebody is so vital and I found it incredibly heartbreaking to see the protagonist in this film pushed away from that and you know there's so many reasons why this movie is incredible but that for me was one of the main ones yeah Cerise well look this is a, a real breakthrough film um it's uh, a, a film with a, a trans performer in a, a lead role, which is extremely rare, let alone in a film that actually makes its way to Oscar consideration. We were used to seeing people drag up to mm. be uh, in Oscar consideration for their conspicuous performances as, as performances across the gender divides, such as they are. And to me, it's, it's tremendously powerful to see some truth to this sort of... Um, uh, lived existence. It's, it's an existence I know all too well myself. So I admire every everyone involved with this film and the the lead performer, who's uh, Daniela Vega, uh, is uh, astonishing. And I, I it's, it's actually it's, it's actually quite a harrowing performance at times. For for all the joy that is in this film, there's probably more grief. But for me, there is also joy in seeing an authentic performance, something that speaks to my own lived experience uh, and to that of other people of all sorts of queer persuasions and other sorts of minority persuasions. It's so good to have that truth spoken to. It's so well shot. There are so many great uh, close-ups of Daniela Vega's face. 
I think I mentioned this on uh, the show when we reviewed this film, but for me it's about Daniela Vega looking at the camera uh, so looking at both uh, the people that are ignoring her in the film, but also to the audience and the world saying, look at me, this is who I am, pay attention to me. Uh, as I said before, the score is incredible. There are so many wonderful, joyous moments. There's a great moment in the nightclub mm. uh, where she really um, sort of really comes alive and sort of celebrates herself. Uh, and there are m- quite a few moments in queer films I've noticed over the last few years where the nightclub plays such an important role. Mm. Yeah, we see that in BPM. Yeah, yeah. As well. so the BPM mm. is another uh, sort of film where the disco or the sort of the nightclub plays a, a place of refuge where the music sort of really transforms the but, performer. But here with some little magic realist flourishes. And speaking of how she holds the frame, like literally she holds the frame at one point, she yeah. levitates up and is clearly holding the camera to either side of it mm. and, and and staring down the barrel of it at the audience and it's a really powerful it's moment. such a great moment. Emma? Can I say why I didn't vote for it? No. Why? Why? Because I haven't seen it. <laughs> so do you know what that means? This there might could have been have, the one. It could have been the one where we got four people voting for the... Which I don't think we've Maybe. No, I don't think we have. I don't right. think we have. It's become close. Well... Yeah, the, yeah, but anyway, I will watch. I will watch it, and I'll post on my Facebook page if uh, yeah. we decide, or on our Plato's Cave Facebook page if I decide that it should be in there. There was lots of um, gorgeous use of um, mirrors in A Fantastic Woman as well, which was one of my favourite things about it. The way that they played with mirrors and her reflection back to herself. I know, Stuart, you were just saying about her asking the audience to look at her, but then there was the gorgeous scene where she's walking across the street and I think it was a pane of glass yeah. she sees her reflection yeah. there yep. there's uh, yeah a lot of spots where she's also forced to take herself in well there's mm. a mirror in her lap which is an the extremely scene, yeah. particular mm. placement yep. and um, it's, it's almost like a little Magritte gag that moment a little visual gag um, mm. uh, and it's beautiful it's it's a very very potent symbol um, and uh, yeah, well, I, I adored this film, and I've watched it a couple of times. I interviewed Daniela Vega earlier in the year, and find her an inspirational human. And uh, long may she flourish. Mm. It's almost Hitchcockian the film as well. The way the mystery unravels and the way where it goes, it starts off as almost being Hitchcockian. I there think there was lots of Hitchcock red herrings in this film. There yeah. were points where they wanted us to think that the it was becoming a mystery that was going this way. With I think it was a key. Mm. It's Sorry, it's been a little while since I have seen this, but it was a key and then we think that's going to lead us down one path, but then that doesn't happen. So this movie was very, very Hitchcockian. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Sebastian Lilliot has another film this year, which was on my list for most of the year. It got cold at the last minute from mine too. Disobedience, starring uh, Rachel Weisz and uh, Rachel McAdams, uh, which is another really incredible film. And you can see similarities in how the film is shot with the, the, the way he shoots women's faces. Yeah, there's lots of attention to people's faces in both. Mm. Makes it really powerful viewing. Mm. I still haven't caught up with Disobedience. So that's, I mean, there are any number of films clearly in the mix here that would have 
got some more votes in all likelihood had we all been able to see everything yes <laughs> too many films in, in our cinephile utopia that we don't quite <laughs> inhabit all right so uh one more film i think we know what it is I don't. <laughs> uh, so uh the final film uh, that received three votes uh was emma do you want to reveal what it is Sweet Country, yes. Warwick Thornton's Sweet Country. Have you seen it, Sally? I haven't seen it. <gasps> oh, no, see, you need to watch this and I need to watch a fantastic yeah, one. I haven't we'll, seen we'll Sweet see, Country. We'll yeah. see how it pans out after that. But this is, yeah, this is just a divine film. But Warwick Thornton is, um, I think Warwick Thornton, Ivan Sen and Lena Lokina are probably the three Australian filmmakers that are most interesting at the moment in what they do. Ivan Sen and Warwick Thornton play with that sort of Western motif a lot, which I think just works so beautifully in terms of uh, the Australian colonial experience and um, the Australian environment. Uh, it's He also just displays an incredible knowledge for cinema that he that r- rolls out through all of his films. Um, this was harrowing, um, but beautiful and effective. And very sophisticated in how mm. it played with time. We didn't know quite what it was up to early on in the film. It, it, it has little glimpses, little flash, flashes forward and back, though at first you're, you don't have information enough to know what it is you've just been granted a glimpse of. And, I mean, that could have been very annoying. It's a real sort of 60s throwback, sort of technically, but it, it did work a treat in this film. Somehow it, it worked. The, and I mean, basically this is a Western. Mm. Um, and it's not quite the first sort of Western we've seen um, set in Australia. I think of the proposition not so long ago. But the first one of all, perhaps sort of the first feature film of all, the story of the Kelly Gang, which is very directly referenced within this film. <laughs> so there's, there's some real cinephile stuff that layers this makes it all the richer but then just in in and of itself the surface narrative is extremely compelling and upsetting and believable and a story too little told yeah and but what a political film and an important film to be telling today where it's really engaging with our love and fascination of the outlaw and the Mm. bandit and you know the the criminal in our history but how that is such a double-edged love where uh I, I guess for Ned Kelly and these these white bandits, we love and we adore them, and they're so important to our history. But when we have an Aboriginal bandit, that he is seen as this outlaw, mm. um, yeah. And I think that's a really important film to be telling today. And it, it, thinking about Warwick Thornton's career and what he's done with Samson and Delilah to go from Samson and Delilah to A Sweet Country is such an interesting transition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a masterful film and and, uh, wonderful performances. And, um, I mean, I love Sam Neill. I think he's rather wonderful. And there's Brian Brown. I haven't seen much of for quite a while. Yeah. I don't know the Aboriginal actors half so well and the names don't leap to mind, but um, everyone in this film pulls their weight and then some. And it has such an emotional heft to it Mm. um it's quite devastating and the and the the almost inevitable resolution to it is 
every bit as devastating as mm. it should be, despite of, or maybe even because of its inevitability. But, mm. I yeah, think powerful. with Samson and Delilah, the same thing, it is completely devastating. And he is such a sophisticated filmmaker, Warwick Thornton, the way that you were saying that he plays with time in this, which I haven't seen it and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. But the way that he played with sound in Samson and Delilah was so incredible and so important to the film. You know, I think that Warwick Thornton's got lots of great things to do in cinema. All right, so there you have it. Uh, so Plato's Cave's two favourite films for 2018 were A Fantastic Woman and Sweet Country. Both from the start of the year as well. Yeah. Yeah. So they really stuck with us. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on those two films being our standout? I'm surprised at both of them being number. I don't know what I had in mind that would come through as the top ones, but um, I didn't expect either of those would. Emma? I'm surprised as well. Yeah. yeah, I'm really surprised. I guess because one I hadn't seen. So it's like <laughs> the same, yes. <laughs> but other, but but other than that, I, I think it, it's been a year of cinema that it is hard to choose something that would be a standout. I mean, Sally, you saying Hereditary? Hereditary is definitely a film that's made a big splash this year, um, but it's. It's hard. I think in previous years, it's like last year, Get Out was the film that um, three of us chose out of four. And I think that was expected, to be totally honest. That was something that it was one film that was talked about a lot and then managed to uh, stay in everyone's minds for at least half a year. <laughs> I'm surprised none of us voted Black Panther. That's a Black you know, Panther? Yeah. 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 Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that was just bubbling under a few lists. No, there's a, there's a. It wasn't in mine, mm. but um, so there was a lot of stuff that was that yeah. you guys have mentioned tonight that I'm thinking. God, yes, I need it. There were, a, a, you know, a few yeah. things as well that if it, we could pick from festivals that were on throughout the year, my list would have been very mm. different. Like I think Holiday was mm-hmm. a masterpiece and definitely would have been right up there on my list mm. that uh, screened at MIF this year but hasn't had a general release in Australia. Oh, there'd have been a ton of stuff. And a shout-out yeah. to Green Fog, which I think was misrepresented when I wasn't on the show. I love Guy <laughs> Madden so very much. I think another film that uh, may have just been on the cusp of a few of our lists was American Animals. Oh, yeah, see, yeah. I didn't That's get to film. see that one. That was on the cusp mm. of mine. That's I saw it film. for the first time last week and really, really loved it, but it just didn't make the cut. So we've got two uh, others in the studio with us now, and I thought it would be a really great opportunity for them to share uh, what their choices were. Uh, Faith. Uh, So Faith uh, edits the podcast version of our show, and she's panelling here tonight. Uh, So Faith has been in the studio with us every week, uh, watching and uh, listening to us. Uh, So Faith, what were your films of the year? I oh, It's so hard always coming up with a top ten, especially when um, a certain group of Plato's Cavers spring on me that I should <laughs> mention my top ten on air tonight. But I, I thought I, I might simplify it and sort of go with a film that's really stuck with me all year. I, d- I don't know if I'd call it my number one of the year, but it's certainly a very powerful film that I don't think anyone mentioned tonight, and that was The Other Side of Hope, which was the... Oh, um, yeah. 
Aki Kurosmaki uh, film, uh, Kurosmaki being one of the best-known Finnish directors, I think, and uh, I found this film uh, to be quite incredible. I thought it, on the surface it had this contemporary structure of being uh, this refugee story, a Syrian refugee uh, has his rebirth in Finland, essentially. There's a great scene in the opening where he sort of emerges from this coal pit and it's yeah, it's his... He's, he's being born again into this new country. Um, but it's also, beneath that, it's got quite this classical narrative of this sort of noble outcast trying to uh, navigate through uh, the challenges that are being presented to him in a foreign land, and I just thought it was really well done. There was a lot of dry humour and uh, pathos, but also a very understated empathy that really sold it for me. And, yeah, it was a very special film for me. Uh, so it's definitely one of my favourites this year. Flick, what did you think? Um, okay, so I also was put on the spot and <laughs> while the show has been going on, just been madly writing down notes uh, and also going through every list imaginable. So I don't. I think it's a bit obnoxious maybe for me to read through my top 15. <laughs> but um, oh, well, you get 15, I get 15, Flick. <laughs> so ones that I thought just that stood out that were... Well, some that were, have already been mentioned, but... Um, Transit that was um, a myth favourite of mine. Uh, Phantom Thread was that? Is that technically yep. this year yes. released? Yeah, it was released. That is yeah. honestly one of my favourite mm. films of all time. I think that's amazing. Um, I don't know if this was mentioned already, but Black Klansman. I really mm. got into that, uh, especially the f- the final five minutes. Um, uh, again, like ones that just missed out, American Animals, which Stewie mentioned before. Also, Prayer Before Dawn. I don't know why, but that has really got under my skin. I don't think anyone else saw it. I've seen it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I know why it got under your skin. It's a pretty hardcore film, that one. (laughs) And a few few Australian ones that I want to do a shout-out for. Um, Strange Colours, obviously, already been mentioned, and Terra Nullius. um, But also Acute Misfortune, um, that really... um, I think there's amazing performances in that. Um, As Stewie mentioned at the start, Roma, I just saw that on Friday night, Mm. and that is just pure cinema. You have to go see it screening for a really short amount of time so <laughs> that's it one to check out I was really pleased that you mentioned On Body and Soul because that's a favourite of mine um, I thought that was amazing as well as Custody and Foxtrot which I forgot about but wrote down in the show <laughs> um, and oh, some really obvious ones like First Man Fantastic Woman of course is amazing uh, The Square as well Loveless um, Suspiria I was also a big fan of uh, and yeah a few that I missed out on but one to check out is The Cleaners and Shoplifters climax and bpm so yeah fantastic so to recap our key choices that received more than one vote uh they were a cold war which is being released on boxing day in the fade hereditary on body and soul terra nullius and a star is born our two top films for the year though were a fantastic woman and sweet country Uh, So you have been listening to Emma Westwood, Sally Christie and Cerise Howard. I've been Stuart Richards. Uh, Do you have any final comments for the year? No. (sighs) We're done. We're done. Yeah. Uh yeah, go and watch more films, people. Stick a fork in me, we're done. Uh, <laughs> so thank you to Faith Everard, who edits the podcast version of this show and for panelling tonight. Uh, uh, and thank you to Carl Chapman, who has panelled for us throughout the year for us. Thank you to our other co-host, who's on holiday, for her stellar efforts this year, Lisa Kovacevic. 
A huge thank you to Paul Anthony Nelson and Flick Ford, who you just heard from, uh, for jumping in and reviewing films with us throughout the year. Uh, We, of course, wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Thomas Cordwell, who offered great assistance to us throughout the year. Thomas will be here next week with an interview with Ryuchi Sakamoto. Thank you to Triple R for their support. Uh, We would like to thank, in particular, uh, Programming and Content Manager Beck Hornsby, uh, Brian Driscoll for his technical help, David Hoochin, the Station Manager, Dylan Bird for training Sally and I. Uh, That was great. Uh, Phoebe Squared and Jason Moore for bookending our show. Uh, Fee, uh, thank you and well done on your spectacular work during Meredith Music Festival. I was there... I gave you my shoe when you played Sweet Caroline. Uh, <laughs> that was a great moment. Um, so as a new voice, and I'm sure Sally will agree with me, uh, on the show this year, it's been really touching to receive all of the advice and encouragement from the family here at Triple R. So it is a good night from us for the year. We'll be back next year, though, so don't be afraid. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.